The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 146 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. We appreciate you joining us again this week. And we've got a great show coming up for you. First of all, we do want to thank a new reviewer on Apple Podcast. Uh, the username is BGILX. Thank you so much for the very, very kind words and the five-star review. We truly appreciate it. Uh, this week, my guest, Carly Robison, has such a wild story to tell about health and uh, optimism and just... Uh, the Lord's hand in our lives. And I really, really enjoyed sitting down talking to Carly. You will love her story. And uh, this week in my Latter-day life, the importance of just being kind sometimes. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest has such an amazing story, and she's using her story for good with her own new podcast. But before we get into all that, we are going to get to know Carly Robison. Thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. We got to meet through our podcasters group. And then I listened to the first episode of your podcast. And I only have about a million and a half questions about your life. <laughs> I'm kind of champing at the bit and I want to get to, uh, you know, kind of what you're known for. Yeah. Uh, but before we do, let's get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. So I grew up in South Jordan, Utah. Um, I am the oldest of four kids and I have two sisters and one brother. And we just kind of had a traditional Growing up, traditional family, um, I grew up is as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I've been a member my whole life, and that really kind of shapes who I am. And What were you into uh, when you were growing up? So when I was younger, I did a lot of dance. I wasn't great at it, <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> um, I've played the piano since I was five years old. And wow. um, now I actually teach piano lessons to adults. So I teach all the people whose moms and dads made them take piano lessons when they were younger and they did it for a couple of years and quit and their mom said they would regret it. And they do. <laughs> I I fall into that camp with the exception of the regret it part. I never looked back. I was fully okay with not going back into piano. But so you're a very musical person. Uh, Once I got into high school, um, so we have a very musical family. My sister, just younger than me, played the flute. And then my third sister, just younger than her, was the singer. And we all used to go to rest homes and churches and perform Ah. together all the time. And once I got into high school, I auditioned for a group that did singing and dancing. And we um, went to elementary schools and talked about being drug and alcohol free. And that was the first time I had ever sung in front of anybody. I didn't think I could sing because my other sister was the singer. I was the piano player. Yeah. <laughs> but I ended, up, yeah, I ended up singing and um, I ended up getting a vocal scholarship to Weber, Weber State University. So. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't even know you could sing before yeah. high school. My sister was a belter. She was very much a musical theater person. And yeah. my voice is definitely more... Um, choir and opera type. And then I was, I used to sing country. <laughs> so we're That's just different. So neat. Yeah. <laughs> so you graduate from high school, you go to Weber State. How was your experience at Weber? I really enjoyed it. I lived in the dorms the first year and I actually didn't really know anybody when I was going there for my high school. Mm. Um, with my scholarship, I had to, technically I was supposed to major in music, but, um, I talked my way into still getting my full tuition scholarship with a minor because I taught, I did an elementary education major. Oh, very so cool. I told them, nobody's going to sign up for your <laughs> choir class in junior <laughs> high or high school if they don't have a love for it already. 
Yeah, that's true. Worked. <laughs> and for our listeners outside of the state of Utah, uh, Weber State is up in Ogden, Utah, about yes. uh, 45 minutes, an hour north of uh, Salt Lake City, right up yeah. there somewhere. So yeah, beautiful campus, beautiful place. Good experience. Yeah. It was wonderful. So I went there um, for four years. I actually went every single summer because I, I knew that if I took it off, I was worried that I wouldn't go back because... Um, I got married my second year and had our first child my fourth year. (laughs) That's kind of a classic Utah Latter-day Saint story you got going there, Carly. But I graduated. (laughs) And you graduated, which is not always the case. So good on you. How did you meet your husband? So we were actually in the same ward growing up. Mm. So his dad was actually my bishop. And my dad was one of his young men's leaders and our families. Um, did a lot together, but we never really dated. I always thought he was really cute, but he was a couple years older than me. And I think he mm. thought he was young until he got back from his mission. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And then did he go to school up in Ogden? No. So he went to the U. Mm. Um, so after he, after I graduated, I taught first grade and he finished up his degree at the U. And then we actually moved to Cleveland, Ohio, because he went to dental school. Wow. So tell us about Cleveland. I've spent a lot of time in, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, Oberlin, Ohio, just oh. outside of Cleveland <laughs> yeah. uh, for business. I've been to, so I've been to Cleveland many times. Tell us, uh, tell us your thoughts on Cleveland. You know, we were in the Kirtland Stake and mm, that's cool. met, it was so neat. And we met a lot of wonderful people and had a lot of opportunities. We were actually out there when they rededicated the church history sites out there. And I got to sing in the choir and I sat behind President Hinckley. There was a piano between us. <laughs> wow, though. Come but, on. So I had a lot of fun um, memories as far as the church goes. And we made lifelong friends. The The weather... <laughs> Was not oh my, my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I I served my mission down near the South Pole, penguins, all that. The coldest I've ever been was one day at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Yeah. That wind whips off the water. Oh my gosh. And just the humidity. I think that people talk about humidity, but I think in Utah, a lot of times you don't really understand yeah. what they mean, that you have to have a down coat and a hat and gloves in order to go from your car inside a store. <laughs> yeah, you can't step outside. Cleveland is is that way. How many, how many kids did you end up? So you had one kid while you were still in school here. And then what about in Cleveland? Well, we actually had two before... <laughs> Before we went to Cleveland, so we moved out there. You moved. Okay, we cool. Did. They're twenty months apart. <laughs> so again, we moved out more, there. You, you've got a lot of classic Latter Day Saint yeah, Utah know. things going on, Carly. I love it. That's awesome. So we moved out there, and our second was only a month old. So we moved out there mm. away from everybody, and it was actually we moved out there um, July or August, and that's the year that September 11th happened. Wow, 2001. Yeah. yeah. So that's, do you look back at that time, because I do this sometimes now that I'm a wise old man, um, do you look back and go, what the heck were we thinking? Why did we, how did we pack up two little kids and move across the country to somewhere we didn't know? Does it seem crazy now? Well, I mean, if he wanted to be a dentist, that's where he got accepted. So we went or, or we didn't, it was difficult. And then we ended up having one more child while we were out there. So we had three children. Um, I didn't teach while we were out there because he really was gone a lot between school and church callings. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, you know, I was home kind of manning the fort. <laughs> oh, great. So how long were you in Cleveland? So we were there for four years. Yeah. And then was it right back to Utah? Did, was that always the plan to come back to Utah? I really enjoyed living away from Utah. It's not that I don't like Utah, but I Mm -hmm. did enjoy meeting people of other faiths and having my children exposed to all sorts of different types of people. And so I wanted to move back to somewhere closer and not as cold. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But my husband really 
really wanted to come back. Both of our families obviously were still here. And when we prayed about it, that's where we were supposed to go. So we came back. Yeah. right. Awesome. Where did you move back to in Utah? So we moved originally to Riverton to live with his parents for a little bit. They had moved to Riverton. Nice. Um, my husband straight out of dental school started his own practice. And so we didn't really know what kind of income he was going to have while that was building. And so we lived with them for a year. That's pretty bold, starting a practice right away. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was all good, of this. Though. We were really, we were really blessed, and he's he's a a hard worker and just a really great guy, and so he did uh, it. <laughs> awesome. So everything's going great in life. You're raising kids. You're kind of living this uh, Latter Day Saint Utah dream. You're married to the dentist. Everything's super cool. I don't know if there's a lot that you want to talk about in between that and when there were a couple of major things in your life. I did have one more child, so I probably should mention that. Or should probably, you know, the youngest <laughs> always gets offended that they're the forgotten ones. So, other so, than that, <laughs> so this is all zipping along. You really sound like the classic Latter Day Saint family. Everything's good, and then. I almost feel like we should have that that sound effect where the record needle scratches off because from one day to the next, your life changed so much. Tell us what happened. So it was almost 11 years ago. I remember that it was in the fall mm. and I had gone to a local kind of shopping center called Gardner, Gardner Village with some mm. friends of mine and we had all met there and we did a little bit of shopping, did a little bit of hanging out, and I hadn't eaten lunch. And so I just decided to grab something from the bakery there and eat it in the car on the way home. I got a chicken salad sandwich. And as I'm driving, I started to feel really weird. And I could tell that it almost felt like I was somebody was strangling me, like my, cl- my throat was closing off. And for whatever reason, I, I understood what was happening and I realized that I was having an allergic reaction. Now, I will say that I did grow up with a lot of environmental allergies when I was younger, a okay. lot, pretty severe. Like if I went and played in a field, I my eyes would swell shut. So yeah. I definitely had experience with allergies, but never something like this. So my dad is a doctor and a lot oh. of times doctors don't go to other doctors very often. <laughs> it's just kind of a thing. And sure. so you really do have to be pretty sick in my household to really but end up But on a going. scale, like you saw your friends who had allergies. So was I would it- say probably eight. I was pretty yeah. severe. Okay. In fact, okay, gotcha. as adult, I was ready to start. Um, my sisters had done allergy shots and had pretty good luck with them lessening their environmental allergies. And so gotcha. I was ready now that we were home from school and having a better income, I was ready to start to try those. So I had my reaction and I went to the store and took Benadryl and it took it away. And so that kind of Mm. helped me to realize, okay, yeah, if, if Benadryl takes it away, then for sure it was something I ate. But you didn't know what it was in the chicken salad. You had no idea. Could have been the bread, could have been the whatever. I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even know that it was something that I was eating at that time. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's hard to kind of pinpoint for a little bit. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, because you had had environmental allergies. It could have been something in the air. It could have been whatever. Okay. All right. So that happens. What came next? So a couple of times um, throughout the next month, I had the the same kind of thing. And so I started writing it what I ate down because I at that time had realized okay, it's obviously something that I'm eating. This feels different than any other reaction that I've had. So then I would write the things down and a lot of them um had nuts in them. So I had the first reaction in the chicken salad sandwich, there were cashews in it. Another reaction was to a white chocolate macadamia nut cookie. So a lot of them had nuts in them, but not everything. So that's weird. I mean, (laughs) there were things without nuts. And so this is perplexing. And it's also not all the time. It's just happening every once in a while. Yeah. At that time, just kind of not every time I eat or anything. So I decided that I should make an appointment with an allergist um, Mm, to get tested because 
I had realized enough, obviously, the Benadryl takes it away. I'm having a lot of reactions. Something is changing within my body, so I need to see an allergist. So I went to an allergist, and um, it was really interesting. They did an allergy test, and I actually, I didn't say this in my own episode, but I actually turned out to be negative to almost everything that was the food. Um, my seasonal allergies, all that was off the charts, but the food was really small and that was really frustrating for me. But the doctor, yeah, it was, (laughs) but the doctor had actually just come back from a conference, um, which is so just, I feel like a tender mercy and heaven sent because Mm. he had learned that adults were popping up with pretty severe nut allergies all over the country. And a lot of them were showing either no allergy or very small allergy. And what they found the common denominator was in all of them is that they had a birch allergy or a cherry tree allergy. And there is actually a common protein in birch and nuts, I guess. (laughs) Whoa, wait a minute. I have never heard of this, Carly. So essentially, you're allergic to trees. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> okay, that is amazing to me. So he knew this. So he said, look, you tested negative for the nut allergy. But was there another test he could do for this birch and cherry allergy? So they did. Well, they had tested me for that, and I was off the charts on the birch That's and cherry. That's where you were. Okay. And so he already knew that I was very severely allergic to birch and tr- cherry. Um, that was the the scratch test where they do it on your arm or on your back. And then yeah. he also took blood. Um, and so he, the blood test came back with a slight allergy. Um, as I have learned about allergies, I have learned that actually these allergy tests are really not they're not foolproof. And a lot of people have allergies that either something will pop up as they're allergic to it, or something will pop up that they're not allergic to, but their body is actually having reactions to it. And so they know that they're allergic to it, even if the test says it's negative. So honestly, Uh, the body is the best. It's the best test. (laughs) Carly, I knew none of this. This is so fascinating to me. Holy cow. So you get this information did you know what to do with the information? So he gave me an EpiPen and an EpiPen is interesting. A lot of people think, oh, if you're just allergic, why don't you just eat the thing you're allergic to? And then you can take the EpiPen and you're going to be fine. But the EpiPen is really to be used in only emergency situations. Right. Um, Yeah. A shot of epinephrine, which they give you in the hospital, and it will open your airways. So the best thing that you can do, there are no cures for um, this type of a food allergy. And the best thing that you can do is to avoid your allergens. Mm. I learned so many things like, so the reason that I was having the reactions, everything at the beginning, remember, wasn't just with things with nuts, there's something called cross-contamination. So if it's in a bakery or if somebody in a restaurant has touched something that I'm allergic to and then touched my food, that can get give me a reaction from the cross-contamination. But you still didn't know how severe it was. I mean, you were still kind of learning all this as you went along. And you share, uh, you know, this is a spoiler alert, I did listen to your first episode. <laughs> But you share about a vacation that you took. Tell yes. us that experience. So this is when things really changed for me because honestly- So this was after the allergist. Yes. So honestly, things okay. are pretty easy to avoid eating. Sorry. No, they're not. <laughs> it is very difficult to avoid things that don't have peanuts in it. It's in so much more than you think. But I do feel like I learned how to do that. And was it all nuts? Like you had to avoid yes. all any- all what about legumes, like beans, stuff like that? Over time, that I have added some of the legumes also. I'm allergic okay. to peas and green beans. Oh, my gosh. So then what? So we went on the cruise, and I had an allergic reaction on the airplane. 
Um, obviously people are eating peanuts. And so it was a pretty long flight going to Puerto Rico. And so I went and sat in the bathroom because I was like, this is probably like the safest place for me because hopefully people aren't eating in here. Um, but I definitely had to take the Benadryl. Um, and I had the reaction. So when we oh got gosh. to our cruise, I, my husband, we decided to go get me a sheet rocking mask because we thought, oh, maybe this will help if I wear this mask. Everybody's learning the joys of masks now. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it way back when. Yeah, I've, known it. I've been living this way a long time. <laughs> yeah. So um, I got a mask and we had a great time on our cruise, but on the way home, I ended up having even through my mask, I ended up having another allergic reaction on the airplane. Oh my gosh. I must feel so, you know, you must feel so helpless. Like, what am I going to do? I can't sit on an airplane. That's yeah. got to be so hard. It, it was really difficult. That was the hardest thing. One of the hardest things for me, because I, like I said, I can control what I eat. I really do pretty much only eat what I make. I have a few safer restaurants that I go, but it's always a risk um, that yeah. I'm taking. But I can't control what other people eat. <laughs> you know, No, people are not partial to you walking over and saying, hey, please don't do this or that. And I wouldn't want to, honestly. No. <laughs> so you get home from the cruise. This must have opened your eyes to, okay, that's a game changer. Yeah. Everything's different now. What came next? So I talked to the allergist, um, he did a lot of, I believe you, but let's run this test. I mm. believe you, but, um, airborne allergies are really, like you were saying, it's really hard to understand that. It's, it's weird to think that somebody could be eating something and how, how could that give me a reaction? And so it was pretty frustrating because you start to think, is it anxiety? Is it something that, you know, I'm just so nervous because I see the peanuts. But then I think about that first reaction and I had no clue. Yeah. And I have another story that I like to tell. Um, I was outside in my front yard talking to one of my neighbors. And one of when I have an airborne reaction, one of the first signs for me is that my voice changes, which is bad because that means that my throat is closing off. But <laughs> that's that's kind of how other people can tell that I'm having an allergic reaction. So I was talking to the neighbor and my husband was out there. And um, along with this, I have now gotten asthma because obviously my lungs are compromised from all of the airborne allergies. And so we were talking and my voice was changing and it was getting worse and worse. And he's like, you're having a reaction. I'm like, what am I going to have a reaction to? Nobody's eating out here. I'm fine. I let it go too long. I almost had to go to the hospital, but luckily... Mm. Benadryl took it away. I went inside and, and, and took some. And the next day at church, um, my neighbor said to my husband, I am so sorry. I totally forgot that I had eaten a peanut butter sandwich before I had come outside. And so to me, that's kind of one of those, see, this is, this is proof that it's not, it's not anxiety. It's not in my head. And yeah, while it doesn't make sense, it is what it is, you know? Carly, that is so wild. And I'm trying to process, you have a neighbor, you're standing outside. The neighbor has already swallowed, consumed, whatever, maybe a glass of milk, whatever, and still just talking. Does um, it? Oh yeah. my gosh, that is just wild. So where do you take that from here? Now, all of a sudden, you must have not felt safe anywhere. I didn't. And... um I took it to Facebook. <laughs> I started researching and I started looking for people like me. I started to see if I could find other people that had airborne allergies. And there are a lot of adults with mm. airborne allergies, especially. I've met a few ch children also. Um, most of them, their allergists don't believe them. It is not something that, that, is making sense medically, but I feel like it's something that is happening more and more all over the country. Um, yeah. Just watching, you know, the groups grow and grow and meeting more and more people. It's not what always. Does what does an allergist say? I mean, look, this keeps happening. And then we find out later that there were peanuts in the air, there were peanuts around, whatever. How can an allergist deny that? 
mine doesn't. He says, I believe you, but. <laughs> so oh, he just keeps running more and more tests. And yeah. so, but all of the and tests are negative. I, I know I keep track of it. I know what it is. Um, and there's nothing you can, there's no pre-Benadryl. There's no, no shot. So there's no nothing to inoculate that. you. I tried that once. I, I tried to to pre-Benadryl. I thought, okay, let's see if I can take some Benadryl before I go on the plane. The unfortunate thing is you can only take so much Benadryl. I still had a reaction. It didn't prevent me from having a reaction. Oh, no. And luckily at that time, I wasn't. So now I'm kind of, my body's getting used to the Benadryl. So now mm. I have to take maximum dosage in order to get it to go away. At that time, uh. it wasn't the case. And so I was able to take more. But if that happened now, I wouldn't be able to take more. I'd have to use my EpiPen. And once you use the EpiPen, you have to go to the hospital because they have to monitor your blood pressure and your heart rate and your oxygen. And so with as many reactions as I was having, I was trying very hard to not have to take my EpiPen. Of course, Carly. Holy cow. So how does this change then your life from that point? So it's honestly been kind of a slow get things, like lose things in my life, which I'm grateful for. I kind of have gradually had to say goodbye to things. So at first it was, okay, nobody in my family can eat peanuts or peanut butter, of course. Um, This must include then your kids couldn't like go out with friends, have a peanut butter candy or something, and then come home. They kind of had to like never eat peanuts. Yeah. So the only time that they can, they, they really like to go to girls camp now (laughs) because I send them them with with the peanut butter and they just can't eat it on the day that they come home and then they have to really brush their teeth and they wash their own clothes. Win, win, win. (laughs) That's not bad. That part of it, but okay. So, so then what other things have you lost over time? So I missed So that was kind of my first, definitely going over to people's houses. And I'm extremely social. I am an extrovert. I feed off of interaction with other people. And that was really difficult for me to lose. Mm, Um, Yeah, I bet. To visit people, um, even, you know, my parents, my in-laws, if they've had anything with nuts in the past, I usually say 24 hours. So if I have to tell them that I'm coming over, they deep clean everything. They open their windows to kind of air everything out and make sure I'm safe. And then I can come over. So no oh. dropping in anywhere. Then over time, I started to lose. Um, I, tr- I tried to wear the mask and the mask kind of acts as a buffer for me. So mm-hmm. if I'm, I can still go to Disneyland and mm, it's so funny. Yes. So it's so funny though when we go. I'm very aware of what's around me. And so if I see somebody eating something and if I stayed there, because you're constantly moving in your mask, the seal can break. And yeah. I would then if I stayed there, I would still have a reaction. Mm. So I just walk really fast. And it's awesome because my family's all trained and they're like little ducks and they just follow me (laughs) (laughs) as I'm walking quickly. And they know it's just, oh, mom saw some peanuts. I love it. But because I was reacting through masks, then I lose being able to go to my children's schools, which in turn also Mm -hmm. means because I am a school teacher that I can no longer go be a school teacher now that my kids are grown. Um, I've lost, even I ended up kind of over the years, like I said, now I'm to the point where I was having reactions at church every Mm. single week that I would go. Um, School and church, I think the reason that I react there is because they're just not, the air is stagnant there. (laughs) They really don't. They don't open windows. You don't open doors much. And if people are eating throughout the week, for whatever reason, like I said, it doesn't make a lot of sense medically, but yeah. it's, it's the case. I have a reaction. In fact, we just moved and my I wanted to meet with my bishop one time before we had moved out of our old ward. And um, he said, let's just, I'm going to clean my office. Let's just try it. Let's just see if you can you know, come. And so I did. And I had a reaction like within five or 10 minutes. I don't know what it is. (laughs) 
You know, I think it's that primary kids ground stuff into the carpet. I don't think you'll ever get it out. So, and, and then again, pot, potlucks and yeah. And a couple honestly, months ago, uh, Father's Day, I was given a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah. You know, that was my that was the Father's Day one of the options they passed out. So. And the snacks that you're feeding your ch- kids while you're in sacrament meeting, trying to get and them to be. They could quiet. just be cross contaminated. So it literally could have been. So, cross contamination doesn't affect to be airborne. Okay, gotcha. Well, it okay. Has to actually be peanuts or peanut butter. Okay, got it. That's got the it. only nut that is airborne, luckily. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is so much. So mm-hmm. over time you had to stop going to your kids' schools. You had to stop going to church. I mean, that's gotta be it. so so now I now I have questions about, you know, living in the COVID era yeah. because you're compromised. Yeah. You know, your breathing is already compromised. And with asthma and everything else, it's got to make the prospect of getting COVID. You must be, are you hunkering down even more? So here's the thing. (laughs) What quarantine, self-quarantine is and all of the shutdowns, that is my life. I have already been doing this for probably at least six to seven years. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so... Honestly, We're all going would, through what you're going through. We're all buying yeah. masks. We're all yes. self-quarantining. My yes. goodness. And oh. um, the only thing that has been different for me is, again, my poor family, <laughs> because they have to worry about bringing it home. My husband still has to work, and he's a dentist. He's a healthcare professional. And um, when they even shut down the dentists in Utah, he really felt like he needed to see emergencies so that the emergencies wouldn't have to go to the ER. And so Mm. he actually reached out to all the hospitals and like free clinics and things like that and said, if you have anybody that comes in with a dental emergency, just send them to me. Um, He was working weekends and everything just to kind of help to not overwhelm the medical system. But then on the other hand, definitely really, you know, taking all your clothes off when you get in, putting them in the washer, washing hands. It has definitely been something that everybody has been so nervous about me getting, but so far I've been okay. But COVID will pass. Yeah. And right now from everything we know, this won't. Yeah. And so how do you, for the past six or seven years, how do you not get trapped into a, or I shouldn't assume you don't, a why me, what the heck, you're on your knees saying, really, Heavenly Father, this is your plan that I'm basically captive in my home? So as I started to slowly lose the places that I was going to be able to go, I think the allergy itself, I understood, I understand trials, I have a testimony that I will be strengthened through them and that Heavenly Father has given me the tools that I need to be able to handle them. But that's easy to say if your trial lasts a year or two. But as time goes on and um, the places that I could go really diminished, I did. I I sunk down into a pit and it was really difficult. Um, as a mom, especially all of the guilt that I felt. Mm. My So my 13-year-old was just three when wow. I first started having reactions. And have you ever taken Benadryl? <laughs> Yeah. Like it knocks you out. It makes you so yeah, it makes you so sleepy. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't affect me in the same way anymore. But she was so young. And mm. honestly, we would just be I was having a couple of reactions a week at that time. For many years I was. And that's why I am now homebound because when I do that, I have so many less reactions. And so that's what's had had to happen. But just being home with her on the couch and feeling like a terrible mom and my kids wanting friends to come over and wanting me to be their room mom and go on field trips. And it was heartbreaking for me. So I really did sink down pretty far. How do you overcome that, Carly? How do you get past that or do you? So the first thing that I had to do was choose to. I had to decide that I was not going to allow this trial to take my faith away from me. I was not going to allow this trial to make me bitter at Heavenly Father and bitter at the world. And I had to choose to try to see the good that can come from it. Um, The very first things that I had to do, I stopped watching TV. I stopped listening to 
anything on the radio, I surrounded myself with the word of God, whether it was Mm. spiritual and uplifting music, whether it was watching gospel talks and conference. I, anytime I just constantly had all of these positive things on so that hopefully it would sink in after a while. And it did. (laughs) So that's kind of how I started to dig myself out. Carly, that is amazing. You know, and I, I'd like to think I would do that too, but I get sick and all of a sudden I'm watching like uh, leave it to beaver marathon or something stupid Gilligan's Island for 10 hours on, on TV. I, I don't know that I would have that fortitude. Like I'm just really impressed with, with that to surround yourself with the things of God, which we should be doing anyway. But But I did it 100% of the time. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is awesome. That's really, really cool. So this leads us uh, to you wanting to share some of this uh, via the yeah, blog so came first. It did. So after a while, I I got to a point where I, I needed to be able to function on my own and not on my own. Of course, I always utilize the Savior and the atonement, but... Um, I needed to be able to survive if I was watching a TV show or not constantly having these positive things, things in my mind, you know? And so I started praying and I, I said, okay, Heavenly Father, you know, if this is my life, then I need to know what I need to do in order to deal with it. And he started teaching me. And one of the first things that he taught me was to focus on the good. And I started a gratitude journal. And every single day, I would write three things at the end of the day that I was grateful for. Mm. Sometimes it was, I didn't have a reaction today. Sometimes it was, I didn't fall asleep when I took Benadryl. Whatever it was, over time, because I was focusing on those good things, I was able to see them. So when they actually Mm. happened, (laughs) it took a while. but um, That's awesome. So as he was teaching me these things, I realized, um, he said, okay, now you've learned these things. Now share them with other people. And the way that I got that answer was because I said, okay, my, my daughter, my youngest one had gone to kindergarten. That's what I was going to go back to, to teaching school. And I couldn't. And I said, Heavenly Father, I, I need something to do. I am an extrovert. I'm sitting in my house. I'm afraid of leaving. I'm afraid of people. People are afraid of me. They don't want to hurt me. And so I need a purpose. And he said that he wanted me to share the things that he had taught me so that I could help other people through their trials. So Mm. that's how the blog came. And I started my blog that's called A Light in the Darkness about six years ago. Tell us the nature of the blog. So the blog is through my viewpoint. Um, Honestly, I would only write when he would tell me a topic that I felt prompted to write about. So gratitude, um, the enabling power of the atonement, any of those types of things. And so then I would share my experiences that kind of through that lens and also scriptures and quotes and occasionally other people's stories, but mostly it was from my viewpoint. What uh, what kind of reactions did you get or what kind of comments did you get from people from your blog? Every single post that I did, at least one person, but the majority of the time, a lot more than that, either messaged me or commented on the blog post and said it was exactly what they needed to hear that day Wonderful. and how it helped them. And that made me feel so grateful to be able to use my hard things in a positive way. Yeah, it has to at least help that, hey, if i got to go through this, if I've got to carry this burden, maybe I can help lift someone else's. For sure. Oh, that's awesome. And then you decided, hey, this is not just enough for the written word. <laughs> Let's talk to people. Let's do some talking. Tell us about your podcast. So this has been a little scary for me because especially technology, technology I'm not awesome at. And so, um, and then just to put my face and my voice on things. I think in the blog, a lot of times it feels like it's Heavenly Father and Mm. a podcast. Definitely, I pray about it and try to get people and say things that um, I feel like Heavenly Father would want me to share, but it's me 
that's talking. But yeah. about six months ago, I just had this weird antsy feeling. And Heavenly Father's like, I need you to do something. I'm like, okay, what? And he didn't tell me for a long time and I couldn't figure it out. And then COVID-19 hit. And the whole world, like you said, joined me in my little world for a little bit. And it's been a lot longer, I think, than any of us, of any of oh, us yeah. thought it was sure. going to be. But um, now everybody's wearing masks and everybody's not able to go to restaurants or church or the temple and they're all at home. Um, but because of that, I feel like Heavenly Father was like, this is something that you have learned that you can share with others. You mm -hmm. know exactly how they're feeling right now. You have mourned the loss of your life and the loss of going to church and sure. at school and all of those things, and you can help them through it. And so he told me to start a podcast. And on my podcast, it's a little different. Um, the first episode, like you said, is me sharing my story, but the rest of them I am interviewing people who have been through all different types of hard things in their lives. And we talk about the experience, but then we also talk about how they've used their trial to help them become better instead of bitter, just like how Heavenly Father taught me. And has that helped you as you bond with people? Has it helped you gain more perspective on your own experience? For sure. I First of all, just hearing these stories, I think anybody feels like that, that you listen to somebody else's story and you're thinking, oh, I'm so glad that I have my trial. I don't <laughs> think that I can handle um, just this past episode. I interviewed somebody with Tourette syndrome mm. and you know, that is such a difficult thing. And it started yeah. at a young age. And I think, oh, I'm so grateful. Mine started as an adult and yeah. all of these different things. So for sure, it puts perspective on my own story. Yep. It's amazing when you really dig down and see other people's experiences, how much you can own your trials because you go, well, at least I'm built to deal with the trials I have because exactly. I feel the same way. I hear your trials and I, man, peanuts. I mean, I love peanuts, but I'm letting me on everything else. That's the ironic part. <laughs> man, and I just think your attitude is great. And the name of the podcast is A Light in the Darkness. Yes. And uh, can it be found wherever people get their podcasts? It can be found wherever. Um, I also am still writing on my blog, and my podcast can be found there too. So it's easiest just to go to Carly Robison, C-A-R-L-Y-R-O-B-I-S-O-N.org, and everything can be found there. CarlyRobison.org, and everything's there, the blog, the podcast, it's it's just awesome. And we have to stay in touch to kind of know how your journey continues. <laughs> I think it's so inspiring. If you uh, kind of one final question for you before the final question we ask all of our guests, but uh, if someone is suddenly facing something, you know, the loss of someone that they love or a loss of uh, a job or something debilitating, something that just feels boom, that hits them and spins their life into a 180. What's some sage advice you have for them? I think the first thing is that they need to be okay with not being okay. Mm. It's okay to mourn that. It's okay. I went in my own pit and I was frustrated with Heavenly Father. And I honestly, a lot of the time as each thing has been taken away, I mourn losing that. And I have all of these dreams and visions that I had for my life that aren't going to happen. But then after you're finished with that, I think the best thing that you can do is try to see the good because once mm. you see the good that can come from it, and I honestly think for anybody, one of the best things about going through a trial is that you can help people in a way that wasn't possible before. I also have lost a sister and because of that, I am able to help people who are grieving a loss in a completely different way than I was before. Yeah. And so while I wouldn't wish that on anybody, I'm grateful for that opportunity. And I think that that's what trials can give us. Yeah. What a great perspective. Just beautiful. 
Well, Carly, this has been amazing. I so appreciate what you are doing in the world and you're doing so much good. And I'm glad we were able to to connect and talk. We're going to wrap things up with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, Carly, what does being a member of the church mean to you? So being a member of the church means everything to me. It's a huge part of what makes me, me. And through learning and growing in the gospel, I can realize that I'm a daughter of God who loves me unconditionally. And through the gospel, I can learn about the character of Jesus Christ, my Savior, and all that he did for me and all that he continues to do for me. Through the gospel, I can know that there's a purpose for my pain and that Heavenly Father has provided me a way through it. And finally, through the gospel, I can know that one day, for me, probably in the next life, I'll be free of all of my earthly ailments and I can be made whole again. And I'm grateful for that. She is a writer. She is a podcast host now. She is maybe not the biggest fan of peanuts, but that that could change again in the next life. But she is definitely an amazing and inspiring daughter of God. Carly, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And my special thanks to my guest, Carly Robison. Carly, you are doing such great things in the world, and I so enjoy getting to know you. Her perspective is just fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, uh, I did something that used to be common for me and now is quite rare, and that is that I got on an airplane and flew. I uh, went down to my office in San Diego, and it was really nice, uh, I have to say, just kind of getting out. (laughs) and the weather in San Diego was beautiful. The airport, it's so weird because at once it's so familiar and yet so different. You know, things have changed so much in the airports, Uh, but it was a great experience. And as I was getting ready to get on my my flight, uh, I decided I'd board last. I wanted to be the very last person to get on the plane. No point in getting on early. Normally, I like to get on early because when flights are sold out, you run out of room overhead, and I just had carry-ons with me. But because Delta is blocking all of the middle seats, there is more than enough room for everybody to stow their stuff. So I decided to be the very last person on. And the second to last person to get on, uh, it was a man and his wife were the last people before me. And I saw him arguing with the gate agent. And as I was getting ready to get on the plane, I got close enough that I could hear them. And this man was quite angry. He wanted to sit by his wife, which, of course, that's that's a normal thing. Uh, but she, her seat had been upgraded, and he wanted to be upgraded also. And this gate agent was explaining, I can put you together, but you won't be up front. And this man got really angry, this passenger. And then this man got really out of line and started saying some things that were just uncalled for. It wasn't abusive. It wasn't, he wasn't swearing or anything, but he, he kind of started to put down the, uh, the man working at the gate. And I actually started to walk forward to say something because you just can't let that stand. But, uh, the man and his wife said, fine, we'll get on the plane. And, and they walked on. And when I looked at the man working at the gate, he just looked broken to me. And we've all been there. When you get chewed out and things don't go right, he just looked devastated and was looking down. And I kind of gave him a moment to just let him be broken. And then I stepped forward and he gained his composure and said, Sir, welcome. Welcome on the flight and smiled and uh, swiped my ticket. And I stopped and I stood there for a minute and I said, Hey, I just want to thank you. I said, You're obviously putting up with a lot today and there's a lot of pressure you do a great job and you're doing great. And I want you to know that. And he kind of smiled and like, you know, this isn't necessary. And I said, no, I want you to hear this. I said, I have flown, you know, more than 2 million miles in my, my lifetime and Delta agents are amazing. And you are a great example of being amazing. Thank you. And I said, people are going through a lot right now. There's a lot of pressure in the world. But what that man did, that was unacceptable to speak to you that way. So I 
hoping I can kind of counterbalance it by telling you what a great job you're doing. And thank you for all you do. I wouldn't be able to fly if it weren't for you. So I appreciate you. Thank you. And he smiled and he goes, sir, thank you so much. That was unnecessary, but thank you. Thank you. And I said, no problem. And I went and I got on the plane. And as I sat down, I was sitting in the third row back. So right toward the front of the plane. And I, I got out my headphones and my normal kind of just getting ready. And uh, I looked up and there was the gate agent. And he walked on to the plane, which is pretty common. They usually come on and they'll drop off paperwork or whatever. But he didn't have paperwork or anything else. He walked on and he walked straight back to me and he half knelt down and he said, sir, you are awesome and I just need to thank you. And he looked like he was struggling to fight back tears. He was very emotional. And I said, oh, not at all. Thank you. And he said, no, you don't know how much I needed that. And he put his fist out for a fist bump. (laughs) And I fist bumped him and I said, really? It was my pleasure. You do a great job. And he said, no, sir, thank you. I really needed that. And he got up and he walked off the plane and we took off and headed to San Diego. Now, what I did wasn't big. It really wasn't big at all. It was quite small. It was just telling someone they do a good job. But as I was flying, what I realized is I'm not the good guy. I was the good guy in that moment. And I need to be the good guy whenever I can because I'm also the other guy. And I'm embarrassed to say that there have been times in my life where under stress or whatever, I have been like that guy with his wife. I have treated people poorly. I've hopefully not chewed them out, but I've, I'm sure I have. I have gotten on people when I don't get what I feel I deserve or when there's a misunderstanding. I have been unkind before. And because of that, That's why I really need to be kind every chance I get. I need to figure out how to not be the unkind guy, but because there will always be people in the world and I will always be one of them, at some point I'm sure I will lose it again and get angry. We have to offset that. People need to feel love. They need to feel appreciated. But so I've been all three. I have been, I was nice enough. uh, It was good I was blessed enough, I guess, to be the one with a, a level head and to be kind that day. I've also been the one who's been chewed out, and that's a miserable feeling. And I've been the one who's chewed people out. Gosh, I hope we can all become much more the kind guy. And what a blessing it was to see that that made a difference in his life and how grateful I am that he stepped in and gave me the fist bump and spent another minute with me. It just made me smile. God wants us to love one another. We don't know what other people are going through. We have no idea. And we might be that one thing that just pushes them over the edge. And we cannot do that. We need to be kind. We need to be loving. And I know it's easier said than done. But I just pray that Heavenly Father will help me to always, always think about others. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this week, we really appreciate it. If uh, you enjoy the show, we would love it if you would get on whatever platform you use and leave us a five-star review. There is nothing that helps people find the show more than good reviews. Uh, Well, I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.